moving through their households. So uh, we're in Mark chapter 5. And if you would, would you stand? We're in ver- beginning in verse 21 uh, this morning, and we'll finish this chapter. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I'll be pleased to grant that once again you'd pour out your spirit into our hearts and minds, that you'd soften us, you'd uh, make us alert, attentive, help us to set aside every distraction, uh, to hear your voice in the Gospel of Mark today. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched you? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house and of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. That's the word of God. You may have your seats. Interruptions come in all sizes, don't they? And uh, we've been uh, living uh, through the greatest interruption uh, that we've all been sharing 
the pandemic. And I have friends, I suppose you do as well, who didn't hold their uh, wedding. They had a small private service. Um, uh, They, months or even more than a year later, had the reception. Others had family gatherings and milestone events, either canceled or delayed. Birthdays, holidays, reunions, graduations, you name it. And it got put off or not held at all. And then, of course, every day interruptions come, don't they? The car won't start. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> A knock on the door. <laughs> Maybe uh, you're, uh, you know, chained to your cell phone. All it takes is a text message. Uh, uh, doesn't need a phone call anymore. Or just that little icon that says you've got email. You want to turn all those off if you can. Um, and, of course, when those happen to me, it just exposes my impatience, my desire to be able to control what is uncontrollable. And I end up being more concerned about my plans for that hour or that day than I do the people that are around me. Well, in our text, we see two desperate uh, people who come to Jesus. He represents for them their only hope. Uh, And they both interrupt his day. Uh, Jairus disrupts Jesus' teaching uh, and ministry to the crowds. And then a woman stops Jesus as she's on the way to Jairus' home. And their stories are sandwiched together. You know, remember, there's a slice of bread and a slice of bread, and there's what there is in the middle. And this, uh, this is not only the way these events happened. Uh, Mark could have told it differently. In fact, if you compare Mark with Matthew, you'll see that Mark is much longer. Um, but Mark does this uh, uh, to teach us some very important truths that otherwise we would miss. This is, in other words, this sandwich thing is one of his teaching methods. So let's enter the story together. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came out one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and alive. And he went with him. So Jesus has returned from the Decapolis. He's crossed the lake and he's probably at Capernaum. It's kind of his home base there. A large crowd has gathered and he's ministering to them. And then Jairus, one of the synagogue rulers, comes to him. Now, he is not a religious professional. He's not a scribe, a priest, or a rabbi. He's just simply one of the lay people who's been entrusted the maintenance, the physical maintenance of the synagogue, and making plans uh, for uh, the services. He was a highly respected member of the community. But more importantly, he's a desperate father. His daughter is dying. And so irrespective of the controversy that going to Jesus might bring him, irrespective of the fallout from people who already dislike Jesus, he comes to Jesus, he throws off all dignity and falls down at Jesus' feet and begs. 
And Jesus looks at him, he sees his faith, and he agrees to go. And a great crowd followed them and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now the crowd is following Jesus almost certainly hoping, even expecting to watch another miracle. And then we come to the the center of the sandwich, the woman. It's another desperate person in the crowd, a woman who's had a hemorrhage. She's been bleeding for 12 years. In accordance with the Levitical law, she was ritually unclean, cut off from temple worship. Anyone who touched her would also be unclean. They would be banished from the community until they underwent purification just like her. And Mark uses a very colorful word to describe her suffering. It's in the ancient Greek, uh, mastic. And it refers principally to being whipped or lashed or tormented. And only secondarily does it mean to suffer. And he uses it here to emphasize her plight. She has an incurable chronic condition beyond the power of the medical science in her day to remedy or treat. In fact, the treatments that she's undergone have increased her suffering and they have impoverished her. Maybe you know someone who's suffered with cancer and had a similar kind of experience. She had heard about uh, Jesus and approached him from behind. Uh, She doesn't Uh, look him in the eye. Now Matthew in his gospel tells us uh, that she touched the fringe. That's uh, his word for the tassels that are on the garment of every Jew. It's really just a few threads that are bunched around in various places uh, together. And uh, uh, she touches the threads of her garment. She doesn't touch him. She doesn't press on his body. Just the threads of that uh, garment. She reaches for it, believing that she'll be healed. So two desperate people are seeking help from Jesus in their hopelessness. One openly and the other secretly. In Jesus' day, women don't touch men that they're not related to. Further, unclean people don't touch other people. And this woman is a nobody. She doesn't feel she can ask for this. But her faith takes her to Jesus. Mark continues, And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Twelve years of suffering, of shame, of isolation and frustration are resolved with a brief touch. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to them, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. There's something important to see here. Jesus wasn't aware of the woman until the power went out from him to heal her. 
Now, this is not a physical, impersonal power like electricity or gravity. It's not like the Ark in the Indiana Jones uh, movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or the Force in Star Wars. No, this is the personal power of God, though Jesus himself doesn't make the decision to heal her. In this case, God does. God controls his uh, power, and he knows about this woman, and he chooses to honor her faith by healing her through the power that's active in Jesus. It's not an automatic uh, cure, but God's free and personal decision. You see, Jesus doesn't know who's touched his garment. This is not a, he's not acting, he simply doesn't know. Uh, he sensed the healing power had gone out from him. And so I need to add this, uh, because this might, might be something that strikes you as rather strange. But Jesus is the God-man. He's both truly God and truly human, but he doesn't have the perfect and exhaustive knowledge that the second person of the Trinity has. He doesn't participate in that. He's not omniscient. Sometimes he has knowledge that you and I wouldn't have, but mostly goes through life just like you and I. See, his humanity wasn't deified, nor was it eclipsed. He's both God and man, and there's something mysterious about it. But I want to tell you, as a trained teaching elder, that that is, in fact, the truth. And if you don't get that right, you're going to end up, well, you're going to end up losing Jesus' humanity. And it's because of his humanity that he could die in our place. So Jesus stops and asks, who touched me? And now... Here it is, just put yourself in Jairus' shoes. Here's a father whose daughter has an acute medical crisis. She's dying. Time is of the essence. And he wants nothing more than to Jesus to get to his house and cure his daughter that she might live. And Jesus is tending to a chronically ill woman. If Jesus were an emergency room doctor, he'd get sued. It's just really not that hard to imagine what was building up inside of Jairus at this moment. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, the woman comes forward in great fear. Uh, well, after all, she's touched a lot of people in the crowd. They're not going to be very happy about it. It's going to come uh, to light. Maybe she's even unsure of how Jesus is going to respond to her. But she does know that she's been healed, that a miracle has taken place in her body. She had wanted to remain anonymous, and now she's exposed. She told him the whole truth. That means she told the story, you know? And here, Jairus wants him to get moving, and she's now she's recounting her story. And Jesus, you see, has sought her out for a personal relationship with himself. Now, don't miss this. Discipleship is more than getting your needs met. Discipleship involves being known by Jesus, being with him and following him. 
And Jesus speaks tenderly to her, daughter. He calls her daughter because she needs more than a healing. She needs a family. Her isolation is now over. You see, when you come uh, to Christ in faith, you receive a new identity. It's more than you're not guilty and you can go free. No, it is you are family and you can stay. You see the difference between that? What an amazing thing that is. Jesus says to her, go in peace. And that's just the standard Hebrew greeting. But on Jesus' lips, it means far more than that. It hints at the wholeness of transformation that Jesus is going to bring, what the Old Testament means when it uses the word uh, peace, uh, shalom. It's speaking of restoring the world to the harmony and beauty that it was originally created and intended to have. And as Jesus affirms her faith in God, not in healing, not in touching, but that uh, the God revealed in scriptures made her whole, he says her faith has saved her. Now that word, that word healing that's used there is used, it means both healing and salvation. And here it means both. You see, the word translated healed here in the original uh, Greek, I'm, I'm going to do this for you, here is sozin. And it's equivalent in uh, Hebrew and Aramaic is yasha, which is a variant of the Hebrew name for Jesus, Yeshua. You hear yasha, Yeshua? And, and in a way, this woman, she didn't see this. She didn't understand this, that her desire for healing and wholeness was actually a desire for Jesus. Have you seen that? Have you come to a place in your spiritual journey where you see your desire for wholeness, whatever's partial in your life? What you really want is Jesus. Jesus alone is uh, able uh, to bring wholeness to the deepest parts of who you are. That's really contrary uh, to the messages we receive all around us, whether they be self-help or whether they be what it is that makes life satisfying and fulfilling. Jesus is the one that makes us whole. Well, the drama intensifies. Uh, all that Jairus fears has come to pass. Mark writes, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, if Jesus were your doctor, you'd bring a malpractice suit at this point, wouldn't you? This is malpractice. This delay, this stopping for this chronically ill uh, woman, this is negligence. You shouldn't have done this. In the face of this little girl's acute illness, this is unconscionable. And Jairus moves from desperation to despair. But overhearing uh, what they said to Jesus, they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Jesus is asking for the impossible. Now, if you go to Jesus, you will get more than you bargained for, more than you expected. And he will in turn ask from you more than you were planning to give. The woman gets more than a healing. 
She gets a personal relationship with Jesus and a new family. Uh, He moves her uh, uh, deeper into a whole life transformation. Not just a disease, but her whole life is changed by her encounter with Jesus. And he asked of her more than she was planning uh, to give. In calling her to reveal herself, she risked being publicly shamed and rejected. And she comes out into the open. And Jairus, likewise, asks for healing. And now that he's heard that his daughter is dead, Jesus asks him to trust that his uh, original request will be fulfilled despite the circumstances. You see, Jairus had asked that she would be healed and live. But to Jairus, the future seems closed. It's too late. She is gone. Mark finishes this way. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he'd entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, they're professional mourners there. In fact, poor people, even the poorest of people uh, in Jewish uh, culture at that time were required to hire them. And they'd seen death before. They knew what it looked like. And uh, Jesus ignores them when he says uh, she's dead. Uh, And he insists that they leave. And here's where Jairus gets more than he was seeking. His daughter is resurrected from the dead before his very eyes. You see, Jairus sees the glory of Jesus. It previews what Jesus himself will do after dying on the cross. He gets a glimpse of that. It's like a movie trailer. He gets to, he gets to see it before the whole movie uh, comes out. The resurrection of Jairus' daughter anticipates what Jesus has come into the world to do, to restore all things. So, What is it that Mark's accomplished by sandwiching? And it's really a very artful sandwich. There's all sorts of interesting things going on that you're supposed to see, like the way he puts daughter against daughter, and he tells you the woman has bled for 12 years, and then he mentions the girl's 12 years old. He wants you to see there's artistry in the way he's told this. What what does he gain? Well, here here it is. Let let me walk it out with you. Jairus and the woman have one thing in common. They are both victims of desperate circumstances who have no hope apart from Jesus. And otherwise, the stories diverge sharply. Jairus has a name and a position. The ruler of the synagogue has enough clout to summon Jesus to his house. The woman has none of these. Her name is not given or even remembered. She has no position. Her only identification is her shame, a menstrual hemorrhage. 
She must approach Jesus from behind, whereas Jairus approaches her face to face. Jairus, in other words, is a person of status and privilege. And here, this is so typical of Mark. He does this again and again. He shows us that this person with status and privilege has no advantage regarding the things that matter most. It's the woman who exemplifies faith. And in this respect, the roles are reversed. In spite of her embarrassing circumstances, she pushes through the crowd and the disciples to reach Jesus. Her gender, her namelessness, her uncleanness, and her shame, none of these will stop her from reaching Jesus. And to this undaunted woman comes healing in these liberating words, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And when Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, well, how should Jairus understand that command? What kind of faith should he have? Well, the answer is he should have the kind of faith that the woman has. You think Jairus was very far from Jesus as he's trying to get him to his house? Probably not very far away. He hears all this. You see, the woman exemplifies and defines faith for Jairus, which means to trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary. That is the essence of what faith looks like. It is to trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary. This faith knows no limits, not even the raising of a dead child. Well, can you find yourself in this story? Mark doesn't tell us these things simply uh, to, well, entertain us. That's not his real purpose. He wants a response uh, from us. Can you find yourself in this story? Blessed are the broken because they come to Jesus. This is all over the place in Mark. We saw it last week with this demonized man. And we'll see it with those who have leprosy, who are mute, who are deaf, who are blind. The two, these two desperate people, they're broken by their circumstances. And if you're going to be a part of this story, you've got to stop pretending that you're strong and self-sufficient. You can't sit on the sidelines. Those who know they're broken can't deny that they need a healer. If you see that about yourself, come to him. Rely on him. Trust him to do what no one else can do. This is God's strange way. He comes when all is lost. When everything has been tried and nothing has changed. This strange way, God's strange way applies to marriage, it applies to family. It applies uh, to our, our work lives. You see, when we are desperate and we come to Christ in faith, he meets us. He does the impossible. Faith means to trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary. Even churches, when they're desperate, will turn to Jesus. Yeah, when churches get desperate enough, 
and they stop relying on their resources and their wisdom and their intelligence and all their life experiences and say, Jesus, we need you to do something here. Jesus says peace, shalom, to those uh, who turn to him like this. That shalom may take many, many forms, but it's a taste of what's to come when Jesus restores all things. Jesus, you see, didn't come as a one-man miracle clinic. In fact, this table tells us, it tells us what he came to do. He came to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. He serves us by taking the most broken thing, which is our lives in relation to God. The sin, the distance, the rebellion, the resistance in us. And he carries that for us. He uh, pays the penalty so that that can be taken from us. Not just the consequences of that, but the power of that. And in due time, all its effects, including sickness and sorrow. So that one day, all things that are sad will become unreal. All things that are sad will become unreal. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, and such such honesty about our insufficiency and need of you that we come to you. Lord, as we come to this table this morning, we thank you uh, for inviting us to it, to receive once again uh, through our senses the word of the gospel that's been proclaimed to us. You knew in our weakness that we'd find it hard to believe the truth of the gospel, that you welcome us, that you speak healing over us, that you've made peace for us and that you're pursuing our wholeness. And in one uh, day in life, when we see you again face to face and sit at the table with you, we will have been made whole. And all that makes us sad will have become unreal. And so we come now with gratitude and humility and set apart these ordinary things for this very special purpose. Grant that we might uh, meet with you, Lord Jesus, uh, by the ministry of the Spirit, that you might lift us to you, that you might come to us, that heaven and earth would touch us in this meal, that our faith would be stirred, awakened, revived, and that we might be encouraged, that we might be filled with hope, and that we uh, might receive more of what you've done for us. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're a guest, we're delighted you're here.